Via Dolorosa. Sounds romantic in the words, but it is not romantic. In the various languages, from Latin to Greek to Aramaic, it means a way of grief, a way of sorrow, a way of suffering, a way of pain. And our Lord did that all for us, which we're thankful for. As tonight we have our communion service, I wanted to finish up the message that I started this morning. And wondered if you could take your Bibles to turn to Matthew's Gospel. And if you have the sheet that uh, was handed out this morning, and hopefully you have that before you. It's a good crowd here tonight. And always our Easter communion is a special time because we do reflect. And it was that Passover at that he had with his disciples, that he said, this do in remembrance of me. So he told them that night, do this in remembrance of me. And tonight we get to partake of that now some close to 2,000 years later. Can you imagine? Uh, All the things, all the obstacles that would have gone against the spread of Christianity, a hostile religion such that a cruel death on the cross, you would imagine that scaring the disciples half to death and uh, fleeing for their lives and scattering and never wanting to be a part of it again. But there was something that made a difference. And that is the power of Christianity today in that they saw the resurrected Lord. That, my friends, is the reason why we continue to celebrate Easter, why we are Christians today is because the power of the resurrection and the evidence of the resurrection is undeniable. And it came to those 12 as they saw him, and then at one time, 500 people that saw him. And those records are in the ends of the Gospels. And it went to these men who, according to Acts chapter, I think, 1, there was 120 of them that went into the upper room and spread from there to 3,000 getting saved. Peter, the night of uh, his betrayal, denied the Lord three times. You all remember that, don't you? Uh, The crosses that were hanging there at Golgotha were a solemn reminder of those who went against the Roman system, uh, the way of crucifixion. And the disciples fled. And uh, yet, when Christ came and appeared to them, it came to these people who would turn the world upside down. And you all know that when you accepted Christ as your Savior, He turned you upside down. (laughs) He came into your life. Life has never been the same. I was sharing with Cheryl this week about my time of getting saved and how that God changed my life. And Cheryl put her faith in the Lord on Monday this week. Cheryl, it's good to see you here tonight. What a treasure to have Jesus Christ come inside of us, to take away all of our sins and to give us a new life, an eternal life. Uh, Confidence beyond the grave. And here in the midst of all that, I mean, you read about these chapters and you have it on your list here of the betrayal and the rest there in uh, Matthew 26, in Mark 14, in Luke 22, and in John 18, 
and that betrayal and that arrest. And then you read the crucifixion as you go down there in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. It's all recorded there on the sheet that was given to you this morning. And just by uh, way of, of looking at this and continuing to look at this, and the hour was come, and how that the disciples had celebrated the communion, that wonderful picture of, I think Michelangelo painted it, the Last Supper, is that right, or was it Leonardo da Vinci? Da Vinci, all right, from an art expert over here, said da Vinci, all right. Um, painted that Last Supper, which is a famous painting, and we've seen it portrayed in many places. Um, I don't think he painted the Easter Bunny, though, do you? I don't think the Easter Bunny was quite around. Quite around back there in that first century. Does anybody know when the Easter Bunny came in anyways? Is Mike McCoy, I need to have him do... Oh, Bobby! It was a pagan. Right, right. In fact, you know, if you really think about it, now Easter in the Bible is actually the word Passover. So you'll understand that too. The word Easter is not really the word there. It's Passover. It's the celebration of the Passover. And and somehow it became known as Easter later on. And I'm not sure how that even came as a part of it. But it was the Jewish Passover that was celebrated. and, uh, And we're talking about, you know, a very sacred day for the Jews and then becomes the high day for us on the resurrection. So uh, as we continue on through this, we, we see him telling his disciples there in the upper room. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I believe I've got some pictures up here on the wall. We, we call it Good Friday. Um, do you know why we call it Good Friday? It's good for us. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Ernie. That's the only that's the only thing I can think of is it's good for us. Amen. I'm glad. I am so glad. But it was a horrendous day of sacrifice. A horrendous day of sacrifice of our Lord on that cross. We uh, we see him. Uh, did, did I miss one of the pictures? Uh, let me think here. He comes riding in. And again, this is kind of the picture of what we're celebrating today, Palm Sunday. And you see the multitudes gathering there, honoring him, saying, Hosanna, uh, son of the highest, coming in. And here is, I wonder if we could just maybe cut the lights up here on the stage. Again, uh, I was able in the, um, the Holy Land experience when we were in uh, uh, Orlando to see the, the uh, model of uh, Jerusalem. And it's not quite the same as being there. Brother Van Hooser, have you been to Jerusalem, Israel? Yes. You have. Amen. How many others have been there? All right. All right. Just a few here in all. And uh, so this is kind of the layout. And we talked about him coming in the triumphal entry here. Then he goes in the temple. Remember, he goes back down to, to Bethany, which is over, I guess, the road to Bethany. It's interesting as, as the... Uh, uh, road. He's about two miles away to the the southeast uh, there, and he comes back and he he curses the fig tree and and all this stuff kind of in this in this area right in here. And then on Thursday he comes to the site, which is on this map anyways, the site of the Last Supper. 
Now, this is as uh, best as the archaeologists can discover it, you know, because in some ways we're not absolutely certain. Some of the things that go on over there in Jerusalem, they set up their shrines for it because they want the, the money from those shrines. You all are aware of that? Uh, like where Jesus ascended, do you know there are three peaks on the Mount of Olives and there's a shrine on each one of them? And they say that's where Jesus ascended. So which of the peaks was it? You know, we know he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. And there's even confusion because it talks about how that he went to Bethany, uh, or not far from Bethany, but however, Bethany is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Is that right? Shake your heads, yes. Been a long time for you, Brother Van Hooser, isn't it? There's a mountain over there, right, Brother Van Hooser? They don't look like mountains like we have here, though, are they? They're, they're not. They're steep, all right? They're steep. All right, so here in the upper room, uh, the site of what they consider the Last Supper, then he goes, and he goes all the way down here to the garden, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Now, you, you'll help me that have been there. Do you remember all this, Carolyn? All right, good. We're counting on your memory. You, some of it, you have a good memory. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that this is where we pick up our reading here in uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then cometh Jesus then uh, with them unto the place called Gethsemane. And with his disciples, sit ye here while I go and pray. And it was in the olive groves that he went into to pray there. That's why it's called the Mount of Olives. There's a bunch of olive trees in the Kidron Valley, which is really, this is the Kidron Valley that runs, runs here. So if we had a, a, a map of it today, you'll see this is a steep climb up into Jerusalem. And a lot of times they would build cities on uh, areas where it would be harder for people to climb up. That's why uh, this coming into Jerusalem here was a fairly steep climb. And, of course, then the valley and then the uh, Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane there at the bottom of the Mount of Olives with the Kidron Valley in, the, in, in between. And he told his disciples to sit there, and he took with uh, him, uh, probably his disciples stayed at the entrance to this garden, and Peter and, and the, the John and James, the sons of Zebedee, they began to sorrow and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And you all know this account here. The disciples, you know, he picked these twelve. And as we read the account of these twelve, I, I think we get, we can have great confidence in that. These 12, really, in the three years that they were with Jesus, they really didn't get it. You all know that? They really didn't get it. They, they, they went along for the ride, and Jesus taught them. But even on, on times when he was teaching them about his death, they were, they were arguing about, well, who's going to sit on the right hand? Who's going to sit on the left hand? Remember, he says, are you able to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? And he was talking about the cup of death. And he says, oh, sure, we're able to drink. He didn't realize because, and, and even Peter, the night of the betrayal, he says, uh, I'll never deny you. Human frailties. I tell you what, I don't put a lot of confidence in my own abilities, but I put a lot of confidence in God's abilities. 
And God is looking for people just like these 12 who he can shape and who he can encourage and who he can train. And even though they're going to fall down, you know, the Bible is filled with the failures of those people who are the chosen of God, who are the ones who were called to, to do great things. And you will read almost every one of them has some type of failure in their lives. But what happens is the devil comes and says, oh, you can't get up. You, look what you've just done. You'll never amount to anything. Has he ever said that? To, how many of you ever said that to you? Can I see your hands? I would hope every hand. I would hope every hand. The devil comes and whispers and says, you'll never amount to anything. And God says, listen, I'm right here to help you up. I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to help you. He told his disciples, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who's the one who's going to walk alongside of you. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. And let me tell you something. When you accept the Lord as your Savior, you enter into a warfare. And here he's exceeding sorrow. And he went a little further in verse 9. He fell on his face and he prayed, O Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto them, Peter, what could, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. That's quite a powerful passage that he gives to his disciples there. The spirit indeed is willing, but what? The wet flesh is weak. How many understand that? Can I see your hands? Now I got everybody raising their hand, all right? Now, I don't use that as an excuse because he gives a solution here. Watch and pray. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And these disciples, even though the Lord had tried to prepare them for what was coming, they seemed to be very ill-equipped for what was going to take place next. He went on the second time and he prayed and he says... Um, oh, Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came, guess where he found them? Again, asleep. I think he had my, uh, the disciples had my, my time at night. I, I fall asleep. I was telling some folks as they came over today, I sit down at nighttime and I'm gone. Uh, how many are like that? And he, he left them and he went away again and he prayed the third time saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, what does it say? The hour is at hand. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be gone. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the elders and the people. Now he that betrayed him gave him a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. The disciples, even up to when he went out to betray him, they did not know that he was a betrayal. They thought when he left them at the uh, 
the uh, Last Supper, or whenever it was there that he dipped with them in the Last Supper, they thought he was going to go out and take care of some things of the poor. He, he was the treasure of the group. They thought he was real pious when he said, you know, uh, uh, this, this could have been sold and given to the poor when Mary gave the, uh, the spicknard. Little did they realize that he was taking out of that for himself. And we see in his character, and here he is with the Lord for three years. It's hard to imagine. He came forth, and Jesus said, Hail, Master! And he kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Behold, one of them which wherewith Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Who was that guy? That was Peter. Now there's some courage there. Would you not agree? And Melchus was the servant of the high priest as we read at another uh, place. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take that the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Yes or no? Absolutely. But now, then shall the Scripture be fulfilled, that thus it must be, in the same hour, saith Jesus to the multitude. Are you come out against the thief with swords and staves? For to, for to take me, I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple. And ye laid not hold on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They laid hands on Jesus and led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, on our notes here, I want you to know that in the different synoptic Gospels, there are different trials that Jesus is going to go through. And some of them record the different events and all in the course of those events. All right. And some of them leave out some of those trials. Right? Do we all understand that? There's a reason why they're put in there. There's a reason why they're out. But when you read all four Gospels, you get the total picture of what's taking place. And there is no contradiction. And so if we were to go and we would find that in John's account, it gives the trial before um, Annas first. And then he comes before, see if, uh, how do you say that? Caiaphas. Good. Both of them are called High priest. And there's a struggle here with these high priests. And when you do this, the history of this, uh, in fact, probably why um, Annas was not in the Synoptic Gospels is because Annas was deposed by the Roman government from being high priest. Isn't that interesting? But they bring him to him first. And then he sends them to the high priest that is set up by the Roman government, Caiaphas. 
Isn't that interesting? You all know that there was religious leaders and political reader, leaders, reader, readers, leaders, uh, that the Roman government wanted to allow the culture of the land to kind of stay intact, but yet with Roman authority. And so the Roman government would set up governors and they would allow the kings. You know, there's a difference between a governor and a king. The king Herod was a Jewish appointment and Pilate was a uh, was the governor of uh, uh, the, the Roman. Uh, both of them were appointed, though, by Rome. And both of them were civil leaders appointed by Rome. But this high priest, Caiaphas, as best we can understand, so he goes before Annas, and they and he um, sends them... Whoops, what did I do there? Whoops, there we go. Uh, sends them to Caiaphas's house, which here's the... the and what I thought was interesting is remember the guy with the jug... Right there is this. They're saying is the site of the Lord's of the Last Supper. Guess guess how far the high priest's house was away. That's pretty close. Would you not agree? Just across the street. And and Jesus says, "Hey guys, good to see you." And he walks all the way over to to Gethsemane. He's arrested there, and they bring him all the way back here. Wow. Now again. This is not a big area, right? Right. Uh, it's, it's not a big area. And so he's here with the house of Caiaphas. And do you all know that there are six trials that take place? And all six of them are illegal trials. Okay. Let me give you the six and then let me tell you why they're considered illegal. Caiaphas, and again, this the reason why the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane is it's midnight or thereabouts. I mean, all good people go to bed before 10 o'clock at night. Isn't that right? <laughs> Except in this case, all right? Jesus is up. So I guess that throws away my, my whole uh, thing that I brought my kids up with. Uh, but it's late. And they're brought here now to this trial. And this is... These, these six trials are taking place in about eight or nine hours. Six trials in eight or nine hours or ten hours. A very small window to have six trials. Would you not agree? And there Caiaphas and part of the, high, uh, the Sanhedrin uh, were there and they met. And then right after sunrise, they bring the full Sanhedrin of 70 people. And then after the Sanhedrin. Now let me let me just say this. Why were these three here illegal trials? The law states that no trial could be held on any feast day. This was the Passover. The law states that the Sanhedrin members must be pulled to give their verdict. They weren't. The law said that the accused must have someone to represent him. Did Jesus? The law stated that there must be 24 hours between a verdict and a sentence. And if the sentence is guilty, there must be three days between the sentence and the execution with the Sanhedrin members fasting <coughs> the days in between just to make sure that the sentence is correct. I guess they didn't want to fast for three days. 
But do you understand? There was an hour. Remember when he died on that cross? It was when the Paschal Lamb was to be taken. They didn't have three days. And they are, even though it was an illegal trial, they are playing into the very hour that God had appointed for Jesus to die on the cross. So after, now, in these three trials, when he was with Caiaphas, was he pronounced innocent? Or when he he was with uh, Annas, was he pronounced innocent or guilty? Guilty. When he was with Caiaphas, was he pronounced innocent or guilty? Guilty. When he was with the full Sanhedrin, was he pronounced innocent or guilty? Guilty. Okay. Now we're going to go to the Roman trials. He comes before Pilate, the Roman official. Was he pronounced innocent or guilty? Innocent. He goes before Herod, and Herod just wanted to see some miracles. You all remember that? He had heard of, of uh, Jesus. He says, well, do something fancy for me. Did Herod pronounce him innocent or guilty? Innocent. When he comes back to Pilate, and Pilate examines from what Herod had discovered, and you know, this is all taking place in this short window of time. I mean, he's traveling as he comes from the... Oops, come back here. Got the, the right button there. Come from the garden of Gethsemane to Caiaphas' house. Then he goes to... Uh, where's seven? Seven, up here. Now they go to, to, this, uh, to the tower of... Antonia. Uh, And then he comes down here to to the palace of of Herod. Then he goes uh, to uh, that palace there. And and as he stands before Pilate the second time, uh, did Pilate find him innocent or guilty? Innocent. 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 As I wash my hands of this just man. Now, while these three civil trials were illegal, first of all, the charge against Jesus was changed. When you find what they were charging him with, uh, the Sanhedrin, what did they charge him with with the Sanhedrin? Blasphemy. But that wasn't going to hold up in a Roman court. And so they changed it that he... uh, uh, was guilty of treason. Guilty of treason. Next, Pilate kept Jesus under arrest and bound even though he found him innocent. Herod, for his part, uh, never even accused Jesus of anything. He just wanted to see some miracle performed. And finally, without any proof of anything allowed an innocent man to be crucified. Remember what they said to, to Pilate? He says, if you let him go, you will not be a friend to Caesar. And really, there was a seventh trial. You know what the seventh trial was? The people. The people said, he's guilty. And they took him to Calvary. And there you see on the map here, from this spot right here, they take him to Golgotha. And there he was crucified. And You know, as we look at these pictures of the trials, again, this is going from midnight to approximately nine in the morning. Because it was at nine in the morning that he was on, he was nailed to the cross. So those trials took place in that short window there. 
And at nine o'clock in the morning, he hung on the cross. And how many hours did he hang on the cross? Six hours. And it was the last three hours that there was darkness that filled this world when Jesus Christ and God the Father, and Jesus took upon him all the sins of us, and God the Father brought darkness in the world. And when Jesus died, he, he said, I mean, there's, there's the sayings on the cross, and they're marvelous to study. You know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you've, how many have seen The Passion of Christ, the play, or the movie, I guess it is? <clears throat> when you see those or other renditions... And understand, I've read medical doctors in the, uh, talking about the crucifixion and understanding what a cruel, cruel death it is. And Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then what were the last words that he uttered from the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Everything that was needed for your salvation was accomplished on the cross. Aren't we glad for that? Well, we have other pictures here, and uh, truly there's a lot of, graphical pictures of, of his death on the cross and all. But as we, we look at uh, <clears throat> and now come to the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing a song. And I want to go back to what we read here in verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. You see... <clears throat> He gave up his life for us on the appointed time. And so we're going to sing as we prepare for communion. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, um, Janie, if you'll come to the piano. And uh, we're going to sing. <coughs> excuse me. The quartet is going to sing. And then uh, the men will come for communion. So if the quartet can come, remember me, they're going to sing that. And uh, <clears throat> and we'll prepare our hearts tonight for communion. Our deacons can come at this time too. Are, are the deacons here? You guys want to come at this time? <clears throat> and tonight communion. We're not going to interrupt much in communion. So before the uh, the group sings, I, I just need to explain to you: communion doesn't save you. All right. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. So if all the deacons can come and we'll have them sit up here. <clears throat> and so whether you're a member of Westside Baptist Church or not, we invite you to take communion if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why don't we just pray right now before we enter into this time. I trust that the picture that was presented to you and as we sing these various songs, will be a blessing to you tonight. Father, as we enter into now this remembrance, we've read the stories. We have the account of the Passion Week, the Holy Week it's called by some. Today being the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And this week, all the events that we've studied this morning and tonight are taking place up until Friday, the death, and then the burial, and then the resurrection next Sunday when we celebrate Easter, it is my prayer that you tonight will grab hold of our hearts of the great sacrifice. And the truth is of that you could have called 10,000 angels, but you died alone for us. Thank you, Father. And really, in reality, the first time in eternity that Jesus Christ was alone.
for us. So as we think about this tonight, I pray that you grab our hearts and that we not take it casually nor do we not examine our hearts to make sure that things are right between us and you. And for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, we have been placed into the position where we can take communion because our sins have already been forgiven. Thank you, Father, for that. We do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. Remember, remember.
And so as we enter into communion tonight, we do want to remember. But you know, as, as the quartet was singing, I was thinking, you know, we need to remember what we've heard today, every day. We not need to just remind ourselves at Easter of the great sacrifice. I would hope that every day we would get up and say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We're going to sing a song before we pass out the cup. He could have called 10,000 angels. And Josh, you're going to be running the PowerPoint back there. And then we'll pray for the cup and we'll pass out the cup. And we'll sing along the words that are on the screen as we pass out the cup tonight. And then we'll also sing along as we pass out uh, the, the loaf first and then the cup. All right? 